They're coming to get you, Barbara. You're still afraid. Stop it! You're ignorant! Hello and welcome to Night of the Living Academic. I'm Caitlin, your host and horror fanatic. And this is Matt, your co-host, a general movie fan, and a little less forgiving of the horror genre. <laughs> uh, today we're here, um, we're continuing our clowning around, oh. um, and we're talking about Terrifier. But I guess before we get into that, um, we wanted to cover some horror movie news, which just so happens to be about terrifier yeah pretty coincidental how this happens yeah um so we didn't really think about this when we chose terrifier i chose it really just because i'd never seen it before i'd been meaning to see it plus just felt right to follow up it chapter two with another evil clown so earlier this year i think in june they announced that they're filming a terrifier 2 um so there will be a sequel that's going to be coming out in 2020 and now I'm really looking forward yeah. to that. When was the original movie released? 2016? Yes. Okay. Um, and, um, but the other thing that happened more recently, which was earlier this month in September, David Howard Thornton, who plays Art the Clown. And in, pretty much the main character, or the, mm -hmm. the main focus of the movie Terrifier. Yeah. Uh, he's been suspended from Twitter, um, and there's a whole hashtag free art campaign on Twitter right now to try to get him back. I was a little surprised because I assumed um, that he got uh, suspended because of posting maybe some photos from Terrifier, something gory. Um, because I guess I got confused because I know the Soska sisters got uh, suspended or maybe even banned from Twitter because of posting pictures from their upcoming film, uh, which is a, a remake of a Cronenberg film, and the title of the movie is uh, don't worry escaping about it. from me right now. So wait, yeah, you're not allowed to post gore, or is it uh, like NDA stuff like that he got in trouble for? Um, well, or, or what you thought they was getting in trouble for. Yeah, I thought he was getting in trouble for posting gore because sometimes that can, like, if someone reports that, it can then uh, be led to suspension. I thought you were allowed to post explicit materials on Twitter. That's what I would assume, and that's sort of why a lot of horror fans are fighting against this, especially with the Soska sisters, because okay. there's no way then for them to sort of promote themselves if right. they're not allowed to post gory <laughs> photos. Right. But yeah, what happened with this, so David Howard Thornton uh, posted on his Facebook page on September 18th, um, sort of an update of what's going on with Twitter. And basically, he says um, that he's appealed it three different times, um, and he's, quote, pointing out that I used a common metaphor whose meaning means to harshly criticize, which is not against their codes of standards, unquote. And later, he talks about... Uh, he's got a lot of fans petitioning to lift his suspension, but no avail. And he also is reporting another page that has pedophilia on it. Um, so that's going on. And he's also trying to suspend Trump. Um, and he's saying it's basically not fair that Trump can say things that are threatening and that these pedophiles can post photos of underage girls. And yet he's getting suspended. Uh, and all that he did was, quote, a harmless metaphor meant to criticize a political leader, a constitutional right, yet real credible threats and dangerous perverted accounts are allowed to remain. Um, and then he basically ends by saying that Twitter is a toxic site and maybe uh, he doesn't want to come back. Mm. 
All right, that sounds like a little, um, <laughs> a little overboard on his part to me. I don't know well, the general knows? rules, or yeah. I don't tend, tend to follow this Twitter controversy. But yeah, I know it's probably a little all over the place and plays it fast and loose with their rules. But um, I think there was more justification if it had been being a ban for gore. Um, but it doesn't sound like that. Well, that who who knows what he said? Yeah. Like, what's a metaphor for harshly criticizing? I can't even think of one. Maybe it was more extreme than we hmm. think. But All right. Well, that's going on. I would like him to come back to Twitter personally, since yeah. that's where I am on mainly. But that seems like um, the bottom line is Terrifier has been back in the news because yes. of this. So yeah. Works out well for us, yeah. I suppose, having just covered it. Yes. Well, currently covering. Currently covering. Um in the process of covering it right now. Um, so yeah, that's pretty much it for horror movie news, unless you had anything else you wanted to add? Nope. Um, just excited for these two upcoming movies, The Joker uh, and The Lighthouse. So yes. we'll hopefully be covering that in the near future. Definitely. Um, and oh yeah, I guess this is a good place to put this news. It's not horror in general news, but news about our podcast. Um, since October is right around the corner and our next episode is slotted to come out October 6th, which is the first Sunday in October, uh, we decided um, to celebrate Halloween and all things spooky. We are going to try to release an episode every week in October. I'm also going to be choosing movies that either directly include Halloween or movies that just bring up that feeling of fall. Yeah. Um, so that's what we're going to be going for. It's we'll see if we can stick with it. Sure. Um, but that's our goal. Okay. Oh, you know what? I think this should also be a good time for me to tell the audience that I think we're pretty much giving up on our um, our previous shtick of me bringing in one of my auteur movies every fourth movie, 400 Blow as episode. We had fun talking about, but doesn't seem like anybody out there wants to listen to it, which is Well, some fun, people did. There's, there's some downloads. But you know what? I think this better focus us focus ourselves because there are horror movies out there that does you know cross over and a little bit more auteur so we can definitely talk about those instead yeah and i think it's too much of a, a leap to jump into you know i was gonna make you watch nebraska <laughs> next time or uh the bicycle thief but well so uh, this we is also those. getting me out of this <laughs> yeah you get out of it so um yeah but i mean if you're a listener and you really don't want us to get rid of that let us, let, us, know. let us know. Let us know. We'll do it for just one person. One person yeah. speaks up. We'll do it for you. And and I'll say this now too. Please leave us uh, ratings and reviews on iTunes. I guess we'll say that at the end of the show too. Sure. Um. So you probably guessed already, but we are covering Damien Leone's Terrifier, which came out in 2016, and we're drinking today uh, Southern Tears Imperial Pumpkin. Um, which I've already started drinking. We both already started drinking it. Um, and this happens to be my absolute favorite of all pumpkin ales or pumpkin beers. Um, so I'm glad we're starting with this. And another little note, I guess, that I forgot to mention about our weekly October episodes. We're going to drink a different pumpkin beer uh, for those. So we're just doing pumpkin beers. I wanted to start with this one, my favorite, a pretty well-known pumpkin beer. But after this, maybe we'll get into more um, obscure pumpkin beers. <laughs> yeah. And of course, we like to try to make our beers relevant to the movie in some way. But uh, let's just say this month might be a little bit more of a stretch trying to do it 
But however, well, you know, pumpkins, yeah. Halloween. I mean, the October. movies will naturally match up yeah. kind of well. Too. And that worked with Terrifier too, since yeah, well, we've I got seen a fun pumpkins. fact about Terrifier. I want to talk about even oh. before talking about the movie. Okay. Um, it's not any spoilers at this point, but you know, this aligns well with the pumpkin nail. Apparently, the director didn't think there was t enough of a Halloween feel to it, mm -hmm. even though it's clear that they're at some costume party, the, uh, some yeah. protagonist. So he actually CGI'd jack-o'-lanterns <laughs> oh, into the movie <laughs> just to make sure the audience knew it's definitely Halloween time. Yeah, it makes me want to rewatch that scene because apparently it's the, it's a jack-o'-lantern that's in the pizza place. Yeah, I remember it. I remember it. Did it look CGI? No, it didn't. But, you know, it was <laughs> inconsequential to the scene, so I didn't I mean, pay attention to it's it. It's important to give us that Halloween flavor. Yeah. Um, I wonder, I wonder how much money that cost to CGI a jack I, I would say not a useful, <laughs> useful <laughs> Was it all lit up? Uh, I don't remember. I really don't remember. <laughs> I gotta look back. Gotta yeah. look back. Yeah, keep an eye for it on it if you guys are going to watch that in the future. Yeah. Uh, so while we're enjoying this delicious pumpkin, Matt, you want to give us our plot summary of Terrifier? Yeah, sure. It's going to be long-winded because this is a really complex movie. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, that's pure sarcasm. Very right rude. There. But Terrifier features Art. He is a sinister, bloodthirsty enigma who dresses up like a clown and terrorizes a pair of high school girls. Well, you know what? I don't know if they're high school. It could be college. High school, could college. be high school. Yeah. But along with them, anybody else that happens to cross his path while he uh, goes after them, and it's more or less localized to a single pizzeria or otherwise an empty urban apartment building where most of the movie takes place and art is terrorizing. Uh, his methods are mostly medieval and it's very gory, and his victims are seemingly arbitrary, and so are his motivations. And really, I think that's it. Right. I, I I know it sounds like I'm being a little pithy here, but there's really not much depth to this movie for better or worse. But uh, any other relevant points that you think we need to talk about for the plot summary? Mm, not really. I mean, I guess something to mention is that there is some like jumps in uh, time too. But I guess we don't. That's not really part of the plot. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll get to that because I'm curious to know what you think about that. Yeah. Stuff. All right. Then next up, we're going to give our overall reviews. We each have, just a reminder, we each have about a minute. We're honestly not that strict with the timing. Yeah. But a short amount of time to give our overall reviews. And the other person is not allowed to speak as the person is giving just their review. Just a jumping off point. All right. Uh, so here's my overall review. Uh, Terrifier has, and this fits very well with what you just said, Terrifier has a very simple yet effective premise. Um, a homicidal clown stalks, terrorizes, tortures, and kills his victims in an abandoned building. I wasn't sure if it was an apartment like you said or if it was like more of a factory or a warehouse. Couldn't really Could tell. Be. Could be, yeah. Art the Clown, played by David H. Thornton, is what really makes this movie special. Because um, he gives a really incredible and eerie performance. Mainly, um, the eeriness mainly comes from his real commitment to sticking in this clown or mime character. So everything he does, all his performance style is... And he never gives up that sort of mime performance style. There's a lot of really great gore, really creative kills... 
And I think there were some fun homages to past specific past horror films, but we could talk about that later. I'm not 100% sure if they were there or not, um, but I think they might have been. Um, and also some fun homages to like campy 80s slashers in general. It felt like this was trying to be part of that sort of tradition. Um, and plus it's set on Halloween, which is awesome because we get Halloween costumes, we get CGI pumpkins. Um, plus, um, it seemed also like it's set in New York, which is fun for us as native New Yorkers. And I was definitely, uh, shaken during and after this movie because I've seen so much horror at this point. I think I'm a little harder to have something get under my skin in the way that this movie did. I was actually yelling at our TV screen <laughs> for a good part of the movie. And yeah, that's about it. I, I really enjoyed it. All right. Uh, again, this is becoming a pattern where we have very similar views, but in opposite sentiments. Okay. So, for me, Terrifier is a really good representation of understanding why genre fans are genre fans. <laughs> because up front, I'm going to say it, this movie is ostensibly pretty garbage. Oh my god. Um, oh. Super amateur cinematography and lighting. Um, I found the soundtrack to be extremely overwrought and overdone and really bad dialogue at times. And of course, as you mentioned, there's basically not even an attempt at a story or plot. But the main attraction is Art the Clown, played, again, we're going to say his name often because he's such an impactful you know, presence in this film, mm -hmm. played by David Howard Thornton. And he's really worth the price of admission. And it's not so much that he carries the rest of the movie on his shoulders as much as the fact that it's like the movie only really cares about spotlighting his performance in the first place. So it felt like the movie's actively trying to like tell the audience that it's like untethered to everything else and like almost that we should be ignoring it. And, you know, that's a little refreshing in a way. But ultimately, for me, it's not a good enough reason to ignore all the glaring mediocrity about every all the other aspects of the movie. So I really enjoyed Terrifier, crazy to say. I really enjoyed it. I would encourage other people to watch it, but I can also definitively say that it's not a good movie. Wow. <laughs> okay. Well, right off the bat, I guess, I want to ask you, you said that there's some glaring mediocrities. Yes. Could you talk about that, maybe? Maybe we'll start there. Well, it's the low budgetness, and it's not even just the low budgetness, because we've had this conversation before where you, you can make a good movie if you don't have the budget. You just got to know what your confines are, and plenty of movies have done that. And I'm not even saying that uh, Terrifier does too too much with too little of a budget. Mm -hmm. It's just that it just doesn't seem like the filmmaking skills are there. Mm -hmm. Um for example, I think the cinematography, like, I mentioned in my kind of short review, the lighting is really bad. The lighting felt like sitcom lighting. Like everybody was like really bright. <laughs> like the main focus was like, it's got the shining bright light right on them. And it just made everything look like a soap opera to me. Um, and just not framed thoughtfully uh, most of the time. I think it does a little better when it is, has art the clown in the shot because mm -hmm. it knows like the, it, it's better at like the horror shooting but like everything else like the casual building up of other characters is mm -hmm. i thought really bad the dialogue was horrendous at times i thought <laughs> oh uh, my God. i don't know if it's because the actors are a little less seasoned and maybe better actors could have handled it better but it was trying to go for this like super casual this is how everyday people talk mm -hmm. thing but like 
almost uncanny valley because it was very clearly actors trying to act like this is how everyday people talk. Right. Where I felt like it, it could have been so much more effective if they went in a different direction where it's like more a fictional version of the way people talk. Or just streamline it. Like we don't need these little <laughs> like tiny little vignettes from these characters trying to show that they're like real people. Mm-hmm. Right. And I can't really point an example off the top of my head, but there's like a lot of times where I just felt like, uh, especially the dialogue between the two protagonists at the beginning, mm-hmm. uh, Dawn and Tara, Tara, I believe yeah, their names are. Right. Two friends. Mm-hmm. And like the movie was trying to show, it's like, ah, oh, these are two friends. They're these two very type specific types of girls and has this friendship and here's this really stilted and awkward dialogue that you know is supposed to represent that and mm-hmm. I, I didn't like it in terms of plot i i don't know if we can blame the movie for not trying to have a plot but the times they did try was pointless to me and i think i want to dissect this a little bit more of you it's like mm-hmm. why have and i you know audience should know we're in the spoiler zone here yeah but if, in case you haven't watched it it turns out that the uh, the movie begins with a victim of Art's massacre of this night. And it turns out that you think it was... I think the movie was trying to pretend that it, Art it has a recurring uh, massacre or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it turns out that the victim telling the story at the beginning of the movie was actually... Our the, final girl. The final girl. Victoria. Yeah, Victoria. Victoria. But like, what was the point? That was like not a shock. It was supposed to be like this impactful twist, but it wasn't like... It, it felt very underwhelming, and why bother trying to put that in? Well, for me, it really, honestly, that reveal did, absolutely did not work for me. Right. Because, not for that, but maybe I'm, I wasn't, like, smart enough to pick up on it. Because what happened for me was that I didn't realize that that was the same person at the beginning. Right. So, so Victoria, basically, her uh, the clown art destroys her face because he stabs her a bunch of times. And so he eats, eats, starts eating. And eats it, too. Yeah, eats from the face. So her face is all messed up. And yeah, I just thought, I interpreted it when we first watched it very wrong. I interpreted it as that opening scene was from the past that, that this clown had done this previous massacre and he did this to one of the victims. And then Victoria was just another victim. And I'm like, oh, he does that to all the faces that he always has to leave one survivor with a crazy face. Yeah. But that's the, that's wrong. I was supposed to know that that was Victoria, but that's not how I took oh, it. Oh, at the end? Even at the end of the movie? At the end, I knew that was Victoria, but I thought the person, the victim at the beginning was a different victim. Well, I think that the, the movie was trying to pretend that. I think the movie yeah, was they trying were to pretend, But I still, still, by the end, I didn't get it until I read IMDb. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> okay. No, well, then, so you missed the twist at the end. Yes, completely yeah. went over my head. But yeah. it, has no, it has no impact. I mean, I think the thing that they were going for was that Victoria now is also like a crazy killer person. Sure, I guess. But I don't necessarily believe that, too, because like, yeah, she went through some trauma as a victim. But why is that going to turn her crazy? Like that there was nothing leading up to that. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. So in case, again, you didn't watch the movie, uh, at the beginning of the movie, Victoria, this disfigured monstrosity of a person having been attacked, apparently also attacks other people now she, she yeah. like killed the host that was interviewing her but there's like no rhyme or reason to that not that there's rhyme or reason to art in the first mm-hmm. place but at least we know definitively that art's a psycho right right but like 
why she becomes one, you know, at least throw something in there that shows that like something about art is imparting that onto her, right? Right. Because it turns out at the end, art is su- somewhat supernatural. Yes. Right. And that's not something that's clear unto the very end. Mm-hmm. But give us like a little scene that shows that like Arten is like puppeteering that. Like he's <laughs> able to like turn other people into psychos. I but guess. we didn't get that. Right. So Yeah. So this twist But was... I don't really need I, I feel like for me they could have left the twist out completely. As it is, it doesn't really subtract my own enjoyment of the film. But, but And I, well, I sort of love the fact that the plot was just so simple. And that not and I also like things not to be explained. I think that's sort of creepy on its own. That like, oh, not only is her exterior changed by art, but her her like interior self is now completely eviscerated. I disagree, and I'm not to, I'm not saying that I need things spelled out for me, but I think you need to have breadcrumbs there. And you can let yeah. people, but you can't like let the audience, there's a difference between letting the audience completely open-ended and like making sure that they're able to fabricate their own uh, ambiguity mm-hmm. right, for themselves. But this is different because it's not like an ambiguous ending. We know what is happening to her. We know she turns into, let's say, a psycho or a killer. Yeah, but we don't know why. And we don't know if art is puppeteering or not, if it's just like the trauma that made her go wild. We, we don't know what. But if if the trauma the trauma is what made it go go wild, then like that's just like a different thread that the movie wants to like there go is. on. But that's not it's pointless. Eh. Well, it's, we'll see because now the pointless. sequel's gonna come. The huh. sequel's gonna come out, and she's listed in the cast. Okay. So there might be more explained in the sequel. I think that's really why she that all happens there because I think that plus the fact that Art escapes the. What is that? The morgue? Yeah. That like those two things set us up for a sequel. But we shouldn't have to rely on a sequel to explain what the first movie was trying to do. Mm. No. I I mean, I don't think that is necessarily like what the movie was trying to do. That's just like a small part of the movie. And I don't mind them explaining that later. I think it was a oversight by the director. Who was also the scriptwriter, mm-hmm. um, or maybe the editor? Well, no, I, I think it's like I don't think that was written in. I think he just thought that oh, let's just put in a twist there because, like, you know, horror movies always have twists. We like people like twists, and without really like thinking, what is the impact and meaningfulness of this twist? Because you you agree yourself, there is none, and you think it's. You I take think that- it's just setting up that like this evil is continuing on into our next our next film. Well, I mean, there's not even, at this moment when making this movie, there was, like, no guarantee that there was going to be a next film. It's not like this is part one of uh, a terrifying trilogy, so. I don't know. I think sometimes horror movies can just end like that, that there is, like, an open space for further films, but without any sort of guarantee that they can make further films. Well, I... I think that's fine. I don't. I don't agree. Well, I don't. I wish. It, I don't I agree, agree the way this movie did that. I agree that I wish there was maybe, like you said, more breadcrumbs. But eh, I feel like this is just such a small part of the movie that, like, eh, I can overlook it. But it's these like throwaway aspects of the movie, and like that's why a lot of it is like throwaway stuff, right? That's why I said the movie is like it doesn't care about anything except art's performance. Which, that's fine. That's a it's, slasher movie. A slasher movie is going to be focused on watching these people die in strange, graphic, and interesting ways. And a really cool monster killer. And that's really all you need. 
The it plot doesn't have is to be like secondary. That. It doesn't have to be like well, plot aside, right? Mm-hmm. Let's forget about the plot because sure. there is some refreshing aspects of yes. a very streamlined plot. But it's not an excuse to be throwaway twists, to have throwaway dialogue, to have thoughtless music, in my opinion. Uh, you know, and all right, so let's ignore soundtrack too, because that could have just been a matter of objective, subjective opinion. Mm-hmm. But it's, you, I, I don't think that art is enough to carry, to excuse the movie for being lazy about everything else or not caring to put thought in it. Because we've seen slashers that are thoughtful through and through in every aspect. John Carpenter does a good job with it. Mm-hmm. Like, well, that was the like the father or the mother of all slashers, right? But you, your favorite movie, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, it doesn't have these like lapses in other aspects of the movie while but, still being a pretty good, like you know, uh, be carried by the family. I guess, but that's still not necessary. That's I feel like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I mean, you could argue that that's not even a slasher movie. Yeah, that's, but I, let's know, say it is. Brought it up because that's that's a bad like example. a very different type yeah. of slasher. Anyway, I think this is more like yeah, like the, your Friday the Thirteenth or your Halloween's more on that or like a Nightmare on Elm Street, I guess. Like very classic slasher where it is really like the killer is the star, right? And so are all the the deaths, and that's really why we're here. Yeah, but like th- th- it doesn't. <laughs> I know, I know that, but mm-hmm. I but just it, don't think we can say that we can ignore no everything else. We can't ignore But no one's going to this else. movie like, mm, I really want some good dialogue, so I'm going to watch this It doesn't have to movie. be good. It, doesn't, it just has to be not actively bad. And everything <laughs> else was kind of actively bad. I didn't find, at least the dialogue, I don't, I honestly don't remember the music, so I can't comment on the soundtrack. It was like Saw, where it's very like techno and like very oh, okay. eh, heavy bass. But, it, but honestly, I think a lot of scenes would be way more effective with dead silence, especially mm-hmm. with art miming. Oh yeah, all the time. Like, and there were moments where there was a dead silence, and I'm like, wow, that was really effective. Mm-hmm. And I know you have to have in order to have effective moments of silence, you need sound and soundtracks. Otherwise, mm-hmm. right? So the whole movie can't be silent. But they could have scaled back a lot more, and I think it would have been a, a much better favor for the movie. Mm-hmm. Eh. I don't know. So, I think I, we maybe just agree to disagree here. Because I don't know. I I didn't find the dialogue that distracting or bad even. I This is one of the homages I think might have been there. Unless it's just sort of a part of the slasher formula. But I was thinking a lot about Halloween and um, Laurie Strode's friends. Um, who were not so great friends. Uh, who would joke like... I forget their names, but one of them was saying, Linda, I think, was saying to Lori, like, oh, you're so scared of men. Oh, scared another one away. Mm. When she's trying to say that Michael Myers is standing over there. Oh, scared another one away. And the same sort of friendship is here between Dawn and Tara. Dawn is like sort of making fun of Tara's inability to get a get a guy and yeah and then the same thing with art being there like oh your boyfriend oh so i felt i don't know if that was a halloween thing or if it was a slasher thing in general or just something i'm reading too much into but i don't know i liked all that i really liked the long island pizza guys yeah i don't i didn't really hate anything so but like the side characters i felt like this to me the movie should have been if you want to feature art Mm -hmm. right just even streamline the plot even more so than they did. They had, what, 
four different different protagonists in this movie. It switched protagonists halfway through. I'd say like two. Okay. And that's part of the one of the things I really liked about it because I felt like it was setting Tara up to be the main character, to be our final girl. She's the one that's having sort of a hard time uh, getting with a guy. So she's but, got that sort of virginal thing, but maybe not as clear, but that sort of thing is going on. Uh, she's maybe a little more masculine than her friend wait, is. So I well, can... let me finish this point. Um, and... And yeah, she's just set up so much. She's sort of the good girl because she doesn't want to drive drunk and she's trying to get her friend home. So yeah, I thought she was the final girl. So then when she gets killed, that was really shocking and really effective, I thought. Because I just assumed she would be surviving at least until the end. Maybe they would kill her in the final scene. And then the surprise is that the final girl here, the real moral one, is the one that's not going out and drinking at all, but instead trying to stay home and study um, and not do anything on Halloween. That she's the real final girl, Victoria. Um, So I thought that was sort of a fun play on our normal traditional slasher rules. That was a nice, uh, yeah, surprise. No, well, I think you're giving the credit movie more credit, and I've made this comment many times already that I don't think the movie is purposefully subverting that trope uh, as mm. as you uh, intended. I definitely. If it think did, then it wasn't. It was not effective for me. I mean, it was effective because obviously it happened, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it didn't happen. It's just like, and so what to me? And so what? Okay, so what? She so you weren't died. surprised when? Um, I was surprised, but I didn't. Dawn or no? That's Tara. When Tara dies, I was surprised, but it didn't elevate the movie in any way. It the wasn't... surprise is is elevation enough. I feel. Well, uh, no. Well, I re- I would once... rather the movie ignore this final girl protagonist overall and mm-hmm. just make the movie make Art the protagonist of the movie instead, and just make him kind of the central focus point where he kind of goes on the killing spree Mm -hmm. and just make everybody else the side characters we don't need to pretend to have depth about these two final girls no it's not about pretending depth it's 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 needing the audience to be on the side of the final girl so that we're scared and threatened by art if we're on this if it's just art killing people we don't care about that's gonna make him far less scary and make us care a lot less it'll just be like a video game sort of like yeah go art kill all these randoms i mean you're you're right that it could turn like that it could but then I think a little bit a, a smarter script, a more clever way of doing things, they could have made it something truly innovative where you can root, not root for art, but like follow him and somehow still like um, get some depth out of it as well. Mm-hmm. I feel like we followed him a lot more than, you know. Well, th- I mean, l- let's change, let's change the discussion a little bit because I- I want the audience to know why we're talking so much about art because we both unanimously agree Mm -hmm. the performance by David Howard Thornton and Art the Clown is central to the movie and central to, at least for me, my personal preference, my liking of the movie. Mm -hmm. And so part of it is just the facial expressions and the way he carries himself. I think it's, um, I likened it to like almost like a drag queen. Yeah. Really over the top. And clownish, and 
Um, apparently we looked this up. He was, he has mime training and mm-hmm. that's very obvious and very evident. And it comes into play a lot in this. And those are the best moments when, you know, you're expecting a maniacal laugh, but it's just him silently laughing instead Yeah, with this hideous clown makeup. I think what was even scarier than the, the silent laughing was when, um, I think it's Tara when she fights back and she's able to like stab him with oh, yeah. something and he's hurt, but He's still a mime, so he's miming pain, and he's miming being hurt, which made it really creepy to me, because it was hard to tell if he was really, like, put in his place for a second. Like, did that give, actually, is that going to give her time to run away? Mm -hmm. Or is he just pretending and performing pain? I I don't know. And that made it way scarier, because it made it seem like he's going to be unstoppable, which it turns out is true. (laughs) Well, I mean... So that was a weird thing that he was supernatural at the end because throughout the course of the movie, it did not make him look supernatural. It, right. it made him look vulnerable. Like he was just a crazy person, a very mm-hmm. human person behind this mask getup who can be hurt, who can be stopped. Except for whatever he did in the bathroom because it was that like puking up blood. I think and it's like, just supposed to be feces. It was red though. Yeah. Well, I mean, so yeah, that well, was kind of gotta, weird. Maybe because he's eating human yeah. flesh. But even in the, throughout the course of the movie, too, I did mention that he was he did seem to have supernatural powers, not in his invulnerability, but his kind of way of being in the right place at the right time mm-hmm. seemed pretty supernatural. Um, but that might be more of a slasher horror movie thing throwback. So we both agree that he is the most amazing part of the movie. Mm-hmm. For me, he made the mo- like yeah, the only absolutely. thing that made the movie interesting to watch. Oh no, I disagree with that. I I would have just said that he made the movie for me. He made it really scary. I, as I said, I was very unsettled by him. I think well, yeah, but do you think you would have enjoyed and recommending this movie if it didn't have that performance? No, okay. but that's what a slasher is. A slasher needs a good killer. That's like the centerpiece of a slasher film. It needs a good killer, and it needs really good gore. And that's it. And that's it. This did an excellent job, I think, in doing what it needed to get done. All right. Well. Well, speaking of uh, art, since we talked about Pennywise last episode, and we liked um, Skarsgård's performance, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, I just was wondering, uh, Pennywise versus art, a few questions here. So, first of all, Pennywise versus art, which one's scarier? Art. Why? Um, well, Art's like a maniac, and he's more also grounded. Like, I know we said he's supernatural at the end, but he did seem more just like a psycho that you could possibly run into on the street. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, the movie purposefully sets him up like that. So, you know, just the fact that this could actually happen versus, you know, a space alien monster Mm -hmm. being able to transform into whatever manifestation of fear you got. Like, yeah, that's... You know, maybe I take it back. I don't think uh, Pennywise was actually scary to me. But I, I guess maybe more more about the performance then, I guess. Like, wh- who gave the scarier performance? Art still. I yeah. think Art still gave a better performance. I think the miming is super uncanny and it's mm. really, really uh, unsettling yeah. for that regard. I think I have to go with that too. Although I did really like Skarsgård's performance and it is creepy in its own right. I think maybe the issue is that that movie didn't really give him a chance to really perform it. Oh, 
Um, yeah, whereas, they bullied him to death. Yeah. <laughs> they ruined his self-esteem, and that's how he killed him, so, so he's yeah. not that terrifying. And then I think, yeah, uh, David Howard Thornton, on the other hand, really got a chance to perform the, the heck out of this. Um, yeah. And then my other question is, yeah, Pennywise versus Art. They meet each other on the streets. Who's who's walking away? Uh, well, now we're going to get into, like... <laughs> big nerd discussions in terms of power levels but <laughs> i mean it's got to be petty wise because unless art, art can't uh, even verbalize uh his you know making fun of him i guess he could uh vibe it really well i think i think art would win because pennywise is fueled by fear and i think art is so far gone that i don't think he would be able okay, to be scared. That's, that's what I would. That's so true. I think Pennywise would have no like no uh, no, no weapon. I guess that he could really <laughs> use against Art. That's is, this is very <laughs> true because you know. In fact, that's a really good point because it seems like Art, when we learn at the end, and the way I think of him a- after knowing that he can't, he like basically can't die. Mm-hmm. He's more too. of a force of nature, yeah. and he is a true manifestation of fear mm-hmm. rather than. Pennywise feeding on fear, but mm. still being a um, still being a tangible being that uh, you know can is vulnerable, and then mm-hmm. as, as we see the end of the chapter. So I guess you're and right. Again, Art would win. And again, too, like this goes back to like cleaning up and like tying those little bows at the end and explaining everything. And I know this isn't necessarily what you were saying before, but I think maybe it explains a bit too much about the inner workings of Pennywise and exactly how to defeat him and exactly what he does and everything. Whereas Art is, I guess he's supernatural. Yeah. I wouldn't know how to kill him, which is to me a lot, lot, a lot scarier that he's very much shrouded in mystery. Right. Well, yeah. I agree. And that's why I called him an enigma in my review. Yeah. He's just kind of like this stabbing art, uh, clown monster mm-hmm. thing, force of nature that's just going to stab his way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What was, um, speaking of his stabbing, favorite weapon that he used? What was your fave oh, art weapon? So I actually really, really loved this scene because this was uh, a, a really subversive scene to me. Mm-hmm. Where he, the movie goes to great pains at the beginning of the movie showing him sharpening all his medieval Mm. style weapons and stuff. And so you think he is this bloodthirsty, like he likes to get his hands dirty. He likes to see flesh being cut by his own hand. Yeah. But then he has no problem just whipping out a little pistol and just shooting people too when Mm -hmm. it's in his favor. And I love that. I love that a lot. It made me laugh out loud. Um, It made me appreciate that subversiveness that felt like a true subversion of like the director like laughing his ass off at Mm -hmm. this idea because i laughed my ass off yeah and it it was shock i i think like i gasped when um when he took a gun out and started shooting at tara because again this goes back i think it's a subversion too of the slasher genre in general like even in in carol clover's um men women and chainsaw she even mentions there that very rarely are you gonna see a slasher with a gun and it's because that the the kills matter so much and it's it needs to be personal i mean for clover also it's like the sexual yeah yeah, the sexual imagery of the penetration and the phallic uh symbol of the knife or whatever he's using but yeah i thought it made it almost more even though a gun shouldn't be as scary to watch i guess as a knife right Mm -hmm. because a gun is quick and clean where yeah a knife is a lot more personal but it was almost more scary the way that they filmed it because yeah we both laughed when he took the gun out and i think that was on purpose i I think think we were 
But then it like turned it to something even scarier because he he runs out of bullets and he leaves Tara there like still alive, struggling to breathe. Yeah. And it's a whole long shot of oh not a long shot but like a whole like long time of him just walking over to the other side of the yeah. room, reloading the gun. Out. Get away. Yeah, and then he just strolls right back. And yeah, I assumed, like, okay, because I was still thinking that she was the final girl. I was assuming she was going to, like, kick him or, like, find some sort of last bit of strength. But instead, he just walks over, aims the gun at her head, and shoots her, and that's it. Yeah. That was really shocking. No, no, it's uh, definitely one of my favorite parts of the movie, for all the reasons you listed. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I really would have liked to see more stuff like that, though. So. I mean, I the other weapon that would come after the gun for me, probably, maybe even before the gun, I don't know. I I loved his, like, cat of nine tails he made yeah. with, like, scissors a and, a, like, a knife and a file. Like, all these weird pointy objects, rusty looking, and he just was whipping um, Victoria at the end with this this cat of nine tails that DIY, he DIY'd. Yeah. Very, ugh, was, I don't know. It, it grossed me out watching her get slashed by it. It was way more effective in making me empathize with pain than any yeah. of the other gory scenes. And there are some pretty gory scenes, but they're like over-the-top gory. Mm-hmm. But it's more like this idea of death by a thousand cuts versus yeah. like this vivisection that he literally does throughout the mo- in the movie mm-hmm. and beheadings and whatnot. So I agree. I was going to mention that after the pistol, uh, but the cat on nine tails definitely was really good. Everything else actually is not even 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 memorable to be honest. Yeah, like just random well, I mean, sharp things. The girl getting cut in half. Uh, Dawn getting sliced in half. Oh, yeah. It's pretty what was nasty. It, a chainsaw? I forget. Oh, no, just a handsaw. Yeah. And especially when he gets to her head and he's cutting through the skull. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, that part was pretty intense. Not as, not as gross as Bone Tomahawk to me. Sure. I mean, yeah. Bone Tomahawk was actually way more visceral yeah, and better, yeah. maybe better um, practical effects, too. Probably. The, I mean, Bone Tomahawk definitely had more money to do yeah. things. And I think Bone Tomahawk was taking itself seriously, too. So it wasn't mm-hmm. like... Yeah. This her, was her sort death, of sexualized, too. Yeah. And it wasn't like... It was supposed to gross you out, but not supposed to be like getting under your skin. Where right. Bone Tomahawk's like, this is happening to a real person that yeah, we're supposed yeah. to like know and stuff. So Yeah. And then my other question, my last question for you here, that homeless woman character, why do you think she was there? I was also going to ask you about why do you think they made art supernatural? And then why does Victoria turn evil? But we sort of talked about that already so my only other thing that i've been wondering is like why do we have this homeless woman and her doll baby there i don't know (laughs) i don't know and i blame the director and screenwriter for that because i think we're exceptionally thoughtful movie watchers okay so sometimes things go by me but like (laughs) there was nothing there to suggest why we needed that maybe just like another subversion to make us think that he's got mommy issues but he mm. doesn't. Yeah, he actually. doesn't. But again, yeah, slashers often do have some sort of mommy issue thing. Yeah, but even then, it's still a pretty weak link to mm-hmm. that. I don't know. It just maybe it just wanted to add to his menagerie of like weird side characters, yeah. which I would have been more for mm-hmm. if they had more of them. That's that's what I'm saying. Where I think the movie would have been better. I would have preferred to see an art focused movie with just this array of weird yeah. characters coming in and out, which. It was starting to do, mm-hmm. but just not enough of it to me. Yeah. Like, yeah, that could have been fun. Right. Also, 
all three, so Tara, Victoria, and this homeless woman, all three of them looked, and maybe this is just me, but they all looked so similar to me that I had a hard time yeah. figuring out, like, who was who. Right. I definitely thought uh, when he did a Silence of the Lambs thing and yeah. donned the homeless woman's uh, breasts and scalp, mm-hmm. I thought it was terror. Yeah, me too. Yeah, for a long time. Well, did you did you have any, like, suggestions or ideas of why this homeless, crazy homeless woman was there? No, I guess I was sort of thinking similar to you that maybe this is just like, mommy issues. I guess she was sort of like a... I don't know. I guess it like fully fleshed out more from that abandoned building a little bit in the town that there is like this homeless woman there. Although she's she had highlights like professionally done highlights and a very nice outfit that's very clean. Very pretty homeless woman. So yeah, I don't I don't really know. I guess why throwaway lines, throwaway characters. This is all he's talking about beginning. It's just like Well, we just thoughtless. needed more people for him to kill. And then we got a creepy baby doll. Okay, but Ooh. but you can like, for example, watching some Japanese horror, uh, mm-hmm. especially Takeshi Miike stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Where he's known to be, I forget what that brand is called, but it's like almost exploitation. Yeah. Horror. He just like jams packs it with like all these weird characters and like they are on screen for just tiny moments at a time, but mm-hmm. that's what they're there for because it's not about them. It's yeah. about fa- their fodder, right? Their yeah. fodder and just entertainment value. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this homeless woman had one too many lines about <laughs> trying to get into her situation where yeah. we should have been just fine with a homeless lady who talks to a doll thinking it's a daughter. Yeah. We just leave it at that. Yeah. Right? And move on with our lives. Watch, you know, be another death. And it made me think too, like, I wonder why they set up that whole thing with the rats and like needing to extirp, like they were going to blow in the poison gas to exterminate the rats. I was waiting for a moment when that, like the gas was going to come in, that, mm. that the extermination was going to begin while at least Tara was still locked in there, that the homeless woman Tara and Art would have had to deal with this poisonous gas coming from through. Well, yeah, I wonder why the rats were there. I was waiting for some sort of thing that the rats would have done. I thought at one point I exclaimed like, oh, the rats eat his, the bodies of the people he kills. That's mm-hmm. why he's never caught. Mm-hmm. But that never really comes yeah, into no. play. I think it's just, they just need a setting of like an abandoned mm. building. I was thinking too, maybe Art would have used the rats as like a, in the book American Psycho, Patrick Bateman, there's like a real nasty scene where he mm. makes a rat eat through a woman's vagina up to her head or something. So I was expecting some sort of sick uh, making a rat eat a human type of situation. Yeah. Did you have any questions about I don't think I have any questions. Terrifier? I keep on saying, want to say terror fire, but it's terrifier. Oh, let's talk about where it took place because Mm -hmm. this actually, like, I think you mentioned it it hits a little close to home to us mm-hmm. because it does feel like I don't know. It sometimes felt like in a like a neighborhood in Queens, and sometimes yeah. it felt like a Long Island suburb. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially at that pizza shop, specifically, yes. it felt like you know any other pizza shop on Long Island. And all the accents, very the Long Island. Mall, I enjoyed that. Yeah, and I I know I said it before, but it's those like kooky side characters <laughs> that I liked. So the Long Island pizzeria owner, mm-hmm. you know, I thought he was a. A great addition. Yeah. Um, him, his whole scene, and the complaining guy. Those are the kinds of things that I want to see more of. And, yeah. And it's not just for this movie, but like in slashers in general. And I mm-hmm. felt like slashers do do that a lot. Just this one could have used that more. Sure. But yeah, it felt like 
Astoria and after doing some research, maybe this is a little stalkerish, but we did find <laughs> out that Art the Clown, uh, David Howard Thornton, actually lives in Astoria. So. Yeah, which is where we used to live, yeah. so that was sort of cool. Yeah, so Art, if you ever want to grab drinks with us, we'll, we'll come out and meet you. Yeah, or if you want to do an interview. <laughs> yeah. Although, yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know, I feel like I'm, I'd be now. too scared to meet him anyway. It doesn't matter. <laughs> well, they did a good prosthetic nose and makeup I know, job. But so just he doesn't know, look like... Just knowing what he's capable of. I don't, I don't want to be anywhere near him, probably. Yeah. <laughs> Every single time I turn look away, he's going to be making creepy smiles. Ugh, no, thank you. <laughs> okay, I guess that brings us to Academic Corner. So I don't really have anything specific. Um, I guess maybe I was a little lazy this time around. I don't have any specific theories or theorists I would go with, but I just wanted to approach this as like, if I were to write an essay or an article or something about Terrifier, where would my in be? Uh, so I thought two ways. So one would be sort of a more genre examination of this. So I'm interested in the ways that it subverted the slasher genre. So Pretty much we talked about it a lot, like the surprise final girl, as well as um, like the sort of mommy issues that it nods to, the gun. Um, And then like those homages I was noticing, maybe like, but again, it might just be me wanting these sort of nods. But I guess the uh, the Silence of the Lambs nod, that had to have been purposeful that that was so yeah, when he's wearing like the boobs and the the -hmm. the head. Yeah. A scalp. And even the way he was moving looked like Buffalo Bill's sort yeah, of... That's what made me think it was actually rip-off rather yeah. than just an Ed Gein thing. Not a rip-off, an homage. An homage, yeah. Or an Easter egg. Okay. But then the other things, I, I was thinking Halloween a lot. I just taught Halloween in my class, so maybe that's why it's in my head. But yeah, the the dialogue was a little bit Halloween-ish. We have the exterminators in a dark blue um, work jumpsuit type thing. It really looked like Michael Myers's jumpsuit to me, but maybe I'm reading into it. Maybe this is the sort of jumpsuit all exterminators in New York wear. I don't know. But the fact too that um, the character Dawn, when the exterminator first is seen, she says something like, oh, he looks even scarier than the clown guy did. I dare you to go ask if you could pee in the creepy building. Yeah. And they made him sort of, it was hard to tell if they sh- if the girls should trust him or not. Yeah. And I feel like it maybe had something to do to, like, I felt like they put him in that jumpsuit maybe for a reason, maybe to nod to Halloween. I don't know. Yeah. He was a little creepy looking, uh, even though it turned out he was nothing but just genuinely helpful. As helpful as he could have been, I yeah. guess. Yeah, so that's sort of where I would go first. And then thinking about two, so, oh, I do have a theorist I can bring in here. So Theodore Martin, he wrote this text called Contemporary Drift. And basically his whole thing is that genre texts and genre films are really great to use as an academic because they have they follow a pattern. And so when you find that the pattern changes or that common elements of the genre are subverted or changed in a given text, then you can look at the way that this text is making an argument about its contemporary context. So we could think about like, why is a gun being used in this 2016 film? Like, what does this tell us about 2016 America? Even if the film isn't making that argument on purpose. Why why is this happening at this time in this film? So we could think about that. And then the other th- the other way I would think about approaching this film if I were to write about it, I might take more of like a like a Marxist look at the side characters and the way that this town 
city, I don't know. It, it's definitely in New York because they were carrying a metro card for the New York subway system. Right. Uh, Dawn was. So whatever this this town is, it really gets painted through the way that laborers are treated in this film, as well as the homeless women too. But we have the pizza guys and we have the exterminators who are both sort of, or all four of them do try to help, but they get murdered just for sort of stepping into art's way. And I'd especially be interested in thinking about sort of these moments of labor exploitation that I found. One being the guy who had to not only respond to a 3 a.m. phone call from his fellow exterminator, but then show up Mm -hmm. to the site. At 3 a.m. on Halloween night, that's a little bit rough. And then the other part, too, I'm thinking of... Oh, and also the fact that that one exterminator, the one that sort of seems creepy at first, he's doing this extermination all alone in this creepy abandoned building with no sort of protection around Mm -hmm. him. There's homeless people in this building, and they're still going to be putting in this uh, extermination gas. So there's sort of, like, not a lot of care for these characters already, not from art, but, like, they're already put in dangerous situations Mm -hmm. with or without this homicidal clown. And then also the pizza guy, not the owner of the shop, but the guy working there, he gets forced and roped into cleaning whatever it was that Art left in there, even though he's Straight up goes on a Marxist rant. Yeah, he's like, I'm the one cooking the food. This is not up to code or whatever. Which again, too, is making it hard for, I guess, the consumers too, which is maybe an, an interesting neoliberal conversation here. So that's where I would go. And then that that reminds me too, I wonder again, why the extermination plotline. Are the victims just rats to art just as the rats are to the exterminators? Huh. I would uh, kind of buy that, but <laughs> not for the lack of, I think, knowing the direction of the other things, I'm not so sure that was thoughtfully put in place there. You never know. Um, So that brings us to our final thoughts. So again, in our final thoughts section, this is our last chance to say whatever we didn't get a chance to say yet. Did our opinions change at all after having this conversation with each other? And also uh, to give our final rating. So for this film, we are giving, um, we are rating it out of 10 helpful exterminators. Okay. So Matt, final thoughts and your rating for Terrifier. Uh, my thoughts didn't change um, after having this conversation. Art the Clown and David Howard Thornton's performance is worth the price of admission. Very entertaining. Highly enjoyable. I recommend people watch it. But uh, especially learning the way you described, I forget that theorist you were talking about. Um, oh, Theodore Martin. Right. And his idea of what subversion is supposed to do, mm-hmm. where it's supposed to elevate something. Or or even just like changes or to the pattern. Changes. Right. Well, I don't I don't know if it just, just changes for the pattern for the sake of changing without having a purpose behind it matters to me as much Mm -hmm. and that's why i felt like some of the subversive elements that you pointed out like them not actually the final girl being kind of red herring Mm -hmm. wasn't effective to me and i felt the twist wasn't effective to me and it just felt like these throwaway motions for the director to use an excuse as substance but there are moments that like using a gun is a meaningful subversion. Mm-hmm. So there are glimmering uh, lights in there. But in terms of other, most other aspects of the movie uh, making experience, I thought were pretty below average. It's a low budget movie, so you know it's a little forgivable with that said. But ultimately, I don't think that can be ignored when rating the movie as a whole. So I would tell people in the audience to watch it. Mm-hmm. You're gonna have fun. 
that said, out of 10 helpful exterminators, I give it a 5.4. Whoa, low. Uh, it's not that low. For me, I loved it. I still love it. My opinion didn't really change. I, I felt like this film was a real breath of fresh air, especially after not liking it chapter two so much. So I really like being able to see this more independent feature take a really creative and really exciting and terrifying approach to the evil clown and to slasher genres in general. So it was exciting to see, um, yeah, this sort of fresh new take. And yeah, I also recommend that you go see it. It's a lot of fun. It's on Netflix, so easy to find too. And for me, I, by the way, I'm trying to be a little more serious with my own ratings. I talked to Matt before this episode to see what goes on in his mind as he gives a rating. So good, try to be a little more serious. So for me, I give it a 7.5 out of 10 helpful exterminators. High. Yes, high. high because unique, creative, fun, scary. And I was genuinely scared while watching this movie. Okay. So I got to give it a good score and amazing performance again from our art, the clown. So that brings us to our little final bit here, which is our next movie. It was an easy choice. And I know I said at the start of this episode that all of October will be dedicated to Halloween slash fall films, but we're going to have to deal with one more Evil Clown, to start off our October uh, series, I guess. There's one more clown, and it is Joker. So we're going to talk about the Joker movie next time. So that'll be on October 6th. I'm just double checking that. Yes, October 6th will be our next release, our next episode. And after that, we're going to have an episode out every Sunday in October, starting with Joker. So what are your feelings towards Joker? Are you excited? Are you not looking forward to it? Oh, well, I'm very excited. But also, I kind of feel like it's not going to even be a horror movie, so... I think we're allowed to talk about it because I think it is sort of... Based on the trailers, so yeah. I can't really say too much, I feel like it is using horror elements. Okay, I'm curious to see what horror elements there are, and I think yeah. that should be a big focus of our conversation. Well, uh, on IMDb, study. I think it says, like, action, crime, mm. drama. I okay. think those are... But I don't know. I still think the way that they're presenting Joker here is horror. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I guess that's, that's the way to do it, to see where elements of the horror genre pop up. Yeah. It looks to me, though, more like, and I know people have, we've been making this insight on our own, even mm -hmm. though it seems like the internet's also doing it, but uh, it does seem like Scorsese is king of kings of comedy. Yes. <laughs> the king of comedy. Yeah. Um, so I'm assuming Flipped. it's going to be more like that. Which, yeah. it's a really good movie, one of Scorsese's best. Yes. You should see that too. And I'm very excited too. We can't stop watching the trailer. So I hope it's good. But uh, DC, who knows? We'll see. I think it's pretty outside of the DC universe. I hope. And so. I have a feeling I'm going to be judging. Um, even if I like this movie, I, I'm gonna, I have a feeling I'm going to be judging the people at the Venice Film Festival <laughs> for giving an eight, an eight minute standing ovation. But I mean, we'll see. And then just, yeah, some final thoughts. Remember, please rate and review us on iTunes because that really helps. Please spread the word to other people you think might like this show. And yeah, uh, we're on Instagram. We're on Twitter. So reach out, interact with us. We'd be happy to hear your thoughts let us know what you like what you don't like yeah 
Art, if you want to meet us for drinks at Diamond Dogs in Astoria, we'd be happy to do that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I'll be very scared. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time with the Joker. And I can't wait to see uh, who will win that battle, Joker versus Art versus Pennywise. <laughs> All right. Bye, everybody. Bye.